0: We just read about one of the greatest gifts given to the Jewish people in the way of the Korbanot. Now you have to think about this for a minute. Ish ki akriv mikem, says the Ramban. This was a real eye-opener to the person bringing the Korban. When he comes into the Betta Migdash, and he's bringing the animal with him, and then they slaughter the animal, set it up on the Mizbeach, and they begin to do the Avodah. The person looks and says, hey, That was supposed to be me. Ish ki akriv mikem. When you bring that korban, it was really supposed to be mikem, from you. That was supposed to be you on the Mizbeach, because it was your sins that now made you bring the korban. And instead, Hashem did us a tremendous favor, so to speak. Out of love, He gave us the parashav korbanot. He gave us this gift called the korban, that we can bring an animal to get kapara, in our stead, instead of me. This concept of korbanot was so great to the Jewish people that we were able to bring an olah. we were able to bring a korban chatat for forgiveness. We were able to bring a korban asham for all the mess ups. If somebody ever stole, if someone has ever done anything wrong, they could bring these korbanot and get kapara. It's a tremendous gift. And it was a constant relationship with Hashem. And could you imagine? bringing your korban to the betta Migdash and suddenly looking up and seeing that a huh, a fire descends from heaven right down to the Mizbeach and burns up and consumes and takes your korban and literally as if it, you would watch it lift back up to heaven there's no greater open eye clarity that I have a relationship with God He just accepted my korban He knows me huh. he, took, he, just, he just went and took my korban! This was an amazing phenomenon and that's why when the people heard about the parashav korbanot and I could be so intimately close with God and I have these korbanot to service me and my life in my relationship with God they were ecstatic but they were also incredibly scared and here's the beginning of our point today says the Midrash when the Jewish people heard about the great korbanot they became very scared they were petrified they came to Moshe Rabbeinu, and Moshe saw that the people were so scared about the concept of Korbanot that Moshe had to calm them down. And the Midrash writes that Moshe told the people, relax, don't be scared. As long as you're learning Torah, you have nothing to be scared of. Sheneemar, like the Pasuk says, Zot Torah ha'olah. What a funny Midrash it doesn't tell us the dialogue of what really took place. It doesn't tell us why the people were scared about the Korbanot. And it doesn't tell us how Moshe Rabbeinu answered their fear. What went on here? What was the give and take? What was the back and forth? Says the Sefer Shavut Yehuda, a beautiful concept. And this is going to be the platform that we're gonna start everything we're gonna speak about today. Says the Shevut Yehuda, you know what the people were petrified about? When they heard these amazing korbanot, the gift that God gave us, they said, "Wow. What are we going to do when the Bet Hamikdash is destroyed?" Now we have it. Now God forbid a person messes up, they can bring a korban chatat and they can get forgiveness. They can bring a korban olah. They want to show their unbelievable hitnadvut to God, they can bring a korban nidava. Even an ani, the poorest of the poor, who couldn't even afford two birds, But he was able to bring a handful of flour. And that was already enough for a Korban Mincha. But everybody felt connected. Everybody felt a relationship with God. And in front of their eyes, it was accepted. And they felt, wow, I'm a part of Hashem. He's a part of my life. Korban Hashem, a guy goes and he steals. And he wants true forgiveness. He's able to bring a Korban after giving back what he stole. He can get forgiveness from God as well. I mean, this was tremendous. But what are we going to do when we lose this? The opportunity is not going to be there forever. They knew that. The people knew that. They knew that the Bet HaMikdash one day is going to be destroyed. They turned to Moshe Rabbeinu and they said, We're petrified. What are our kids going to do? How are they going to survive? How are they going to keep this unbelievable thing going that we were gifted and given in the relationship called korbanot? Today, Hashem is willing to accept the animal instead of me what about tomorrow, when there's no longer korbanot? What is he gonna do then when they mess up? What is he gonna do then to our kids and grandkids when they fall into sin? They don't have the korbanot that we have to turn to. They were petrified. Moshe Rabbeinu turned around, and he told the people an amazing concept. He said to them, you're right. This amazing gift of the korbanot, what a privilege. But don't worry, even tomorrow, when the Bet HaMikdash is going to be destroyed, there's going to be something that will continue the relationship no less. And that is the learning of Torah. Said Moshe Rabbeinu to the people, as long as you're learning Torah, you'll be able to have the same benefits as the very korbanot themselves. Today you have a korban chatat, and that forgives on the sins. Tomorrow we don't have the korban, but we have the Torah, and to continue learning Torah in the proper way will also forgive on your sins. Today we have a korban Dava that we want to show a certain hitnadvut to show our closeness to God. Tomorrow you don't have the korban, sit down and learn a piece of gemara, learn a little bit of Torah, and you'll get that closeness to God. Opening a gemara, opening a chumash, opening Torah is a God-meeting experience. Anything that we've done that Korbanot could accomplish, when we lost the Korbanot, the Torah can still accomplish. And this is what Moshe Rabbeinu told them. Don't be petrified, don't be scared. You're right. One day we might lose this gift, but the Torah will never lose. And as long as the Jews are learning Torah, we still have all the benefits and all the privileges that we once had with Korbanot, we'll have and continue with the learning of Torah as well. Like the Pasuk says, Zot torat HaOla This is the Torah and this is the Ola. When you have the Ola, wonderful, but even when you don't have the Ola, you still have the Torah. Zot torat HaOla You have Torah and you have Ola. And even when there's no Ola, you still have the Torah. The great Chacham Ovad, sadiq Lebracha, he was known to say in his speeches, and with a little bit of Arabic, you'll love this Pshat. He used to say, Zot HaTorah, Torah, la ola, la mincha, la Now, here's the Arabic version Zot HaTorah, this is the Torah. La ola, when there's no ola, la, la, la means no, right? La hatat, when there's no hatat, la mincha, la when there's no ola, no hatat, no asham, there's no korbanot. What do you still have? Zot HaTorah. The Torah you still have. The Torah will always be there. And this is what Moshe was telling them. As long as you have a Torah, you still have all the privileges, the kapara, and the benefits of the korbanot themselves. Because Talmud, Torah, is keneged kula. Unbelievable concept. You know, it's amazing. You hear about this And you hear how much Torah means to us. You understand today, how come in the yeshiva world, a young little boy, he's in fourth grade, fifth grade, he already started Mishnayot. He's just beginning now Gemara at such a young age. And then from that point on, in the yeshiva, they're going to be teaching him Gemara, 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 day and night. You know, the rabbis told us, once upon a time, many, many good years ago, there was a big question in the yeshiva world. Should they learn Musar or not? Now the later on generations, as time went on and the generations got smaller, we desperately needed to incorporate the learning of Musar. But before that, you know what they did? You know what they held? They held no. As long as you have Torah, you have everything. The Torah gives you the Kapara. The Torah gives you the Musar. The Torah gives you everything. It's an all-encompassing package. But then years later we needed the Musar Seder. And that's why the great Baale Musar and the movement came along years later and started teaching Musar to Klal Yisrael because the generations got smaller and smaller. Once upon a time, there were rabbis, great Mikubalim, great Sadikim, that they used to be B'Ta'anit all the time. We probably even know some of these rabbis, some in Israel, some in the United States, but they are very few and far beyond. There are very few left. You know, the ones that they fast Mondays and Thursdays, in the days of Shobabim, right? In those parashiot of Shemot, Vayera, Bo, Bishalach. They used to fast literally every week in those five, six weeks, Monday and Thursday, Monday and Thursday. It's not that long ago. My grandmother, Sadeket, she came from Morocco many years ago to Israel. When it came to the month of Elul, she was with Ta'anid Dibur the whole month. The entire month. She wouldn't talk. Tani I mean, you, you see these people from a different generation, they used to live a different life. They used to fast, Tani Tibur, Tikkunim, all different tremendous things. Today, we're not as strong anymore. People think that we're better today. We're, <laughs> we're much more fragile today than they were in the early generation. They were much stronger in earlier generations than we are. By like us, if not everything is just, 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 we fall apart. We fall apart. They were really made hardy, is the English word. They were, they were made tough, made to last, built to last. Right, isn't that, Chevrolet? Built to last. They were built to last. They used to do ta'anit. They used to do tremendous stuff. Today, the rabbis say, no more. We don't really do much ta'anit. We do here and there on serious emergencies, but not as much. You know why? Today, the Torah is everything to us. Today, we're told by our rabbis, just learn and learn and learn. And the Torah does everything. It's the one that gives us kapara. It's the one that gives us tremendous zichuyot for health. It's magne umatzle. It protects its learners, its people. Today, this is what we got. The Torah to us is everything. It replaced everything. And that's why, as I was beginning to say in the Shivot, a lot of times I speak to different parents, how come they don't teach them more Navi? And how much, how come they don't teach the kid more Dikduk? And how much they don't teach the kid more history, historia? And, and the answer is because the riding factor that we have left that's keeping us surviving and keeping us alive is that Gemara. It's that Torah, it's the learning with sacrifice. But that learning is such a cleansing learning and it refines its learners. And what it does for us, nothing else can compare to. It's the all-encompassing package that took place, everything else. And that's why today we drive that home more than anything else to our kids. And it's because of that, that Hashem will never forget when we go out and we do things to benefit the Torah and its learners and Talmidei Chachamim. Because this is the last driving force that's keeping the Jewish people surviving. And anyone that steps up to help the Torah and its Talmidei Chachamim and learners, that's very personal to Hashem. And he'll never forget it. Let me tell you an incredible story. The story goes back to the times of the great Shagat Aryeh, he was one of the great Gidolim of his generation in Europe. The Shagat Aryeh finished Shas over 1,000 times. He was a giant of a giant, the undisputed Baki and giant of Torah of his generation. The Shagat Aryeh had a Shamosh. and the Shamosh in his later years, who took care of the rabbi. The Shamosh was an elderly man with an elderly wife, and they were gifted and blessed with a child in their older years. Now, it wasn't easy for an older man and an older woman to take care of an infant, the little newborn baby. But right away, the child already showed unbelievable, promising intellect and all different types of tremendous potential. They saw on this kid that this baby is going to be a child prodigy, something very special. The parents knew it, and everyone who saw the baby knew it. But the parents were just not up to taking up the child. And it was only a year later that the Shamosh and his wife fell sick. They were having such a difficult time with their waning health and taking care of this little infant. On his deathbed, the Shamosh calls his Rebbe, the Shagat Daryeh. And he says, Rebbe, my whole life I gave everything I could and I served as best as Shamosh that I could to you, my Rebbe. Please, I'm asking you as a favor. I can't trust anybody else with the very special mission that I'm asking you, Rebbe, to do for me. I have a child. His name is Raphael, my son. This is the child that God gifted me with at a very old age. I'm probably not going to live to see his next birthday. Rebbe, please, I'm asking you to take my son under your wing. Take him as yours. Take him as your son. Teach him. Raise him. Please. And with those words, the Shagat Aryeh got so emotional. And he said to the Shamosh, I owe you so much Hakarat atav. It's the least I can do to be able to take your child as my own. When the man heard that, he closed his eyes suddenly. And he said, Shema Yisrael. And right there, he passed away on the spot. And the Shagat was moved. Only two weeks later, the man's wife passed away. And only a month into the year of mourning of the Shamosh of Shagat taryeh, did the rabbi find himself the single father of a little boy. And he took this task very seriously. The boy moved into the house with the Shagat taryeh. young little boy when he was only three years old and he was able to speak already, they saw that this child was very advanced. The Shagat Aryeh began to teach him Aleph Bet. Could you imagine learning Aleph Bet from the Gadol Hador? Aleph Bet. (laughs) Could you imagine someone bringing their child to Eretz Yisrael? And they go to the great Rabchaim Kanievski Shalita at Me'av or in the days when we were still lucky, we had the great Chachamuvadi Yosef Zatzal, and you'd bring your child into the rabbi, and typically we'd bring our kids in to get a Biracha. No, 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 Rabbi, I didn't bring it for a Biracha. I want you to teach him the Aleph Bet. You go to the Gadol Ador to learn the Aleph Bet, but this was the case. This little baby, this little boy Raphael, he started learning from none other than the Shagat Aryeh, the Gadol Ador. The alphabet, letter by letter, and the rabbi had so much love and so much patience as a gadol does, and he taught the boy the entire alphabet, and then from there he taught the boy the entire chumash, and then from there he taught the boy the entire navi, and then the mishnayot. And sure enough, little by little, by age thirteen already, the boy had already finished kama vekama gemarot and shas. He already made siyum on many mesechtot and shas. And people knew that this kid is going to be a gadol one day. Look who he was under the tutelage. Look who's bringing him up. He was being brought up by the shagat Yeh. Maybe one day he'll even take the place of the shagat Yeh. People were mesmerized by this kid. At the age of 14, one night, shagat Yeh was walking through his house and he sees the light on in Rafael's room, and it was very late. And at that time, General Rafael was already sleeping. He figured the boy's in Matmid, he's still learning, so he's just gonna peek his head in to tell him a good night, tell him to close this svarim, and to go to sleep, you gotta wake up for shahri. So he comes into the boy's room, and he looks around. The boy's gone, where is he? No it's not there. Now generally, if Rafael would leave the house at that late at night, he would say something to the rabbi like, I'm going out. He didn't say a word, where is he? The rabbi looks into the kitchen, then he looks into the living room, and he looks in the back of the house, in front of the house. He's gone. Maybe he went to a friend's house, but it's not like him. He went to the neighbor, and the Shagataye went down the block to other people. No one had a clue where Raphael was. Shagataye started to get nervous. He started calling all the people. We need a search party. We've got to find this boy. I took him under my, under my, under my responsibility. They started looking for Rafael in every street in the town, screaming his name, looking anywhere you would look for a 14-year-old boy. The Shul, the Bet-Midrash, everywhere. Nowhere. Shagatariah, after about five, six hours of searching, they gave up. He comes back to the house, and he's broken. His mama's hearted He lays down at the bed, and he collapses, and he falls asleep. And then the Shagat Ha'ayeh had a dream. And in the dream, who came to him? His Shamosh, the father of the boy. And he comes to the Shagat Ha'ayeh from the next world, and he says, Rebbe, please, you need a help. I know what happened to my Raphael. The church, they found out about this child prodigy. They heard about this amazing Jewish boy. And like many, many times, they came in the middle of the night, quietly, A bunch of monks climbed in from the back of your house you didn't know they grabbed raphael and they kidnapped him he's being held now in the monastery outside of the city he's being held in the basement they're going to baptize him they're going to hold him against his will and they're going to hold him there until he agrees to become one of theirs they see the kid's a genius they see he's brilliant they want him for the priesthood Rabbi, Shagataye, I beg you to bring up this boy to be a gadol. Oh, please, you got to save my son. Shagataye says, I have no idea. Of course, I'm going to do everything I can. And with those words, he woke up. He jumps out of bed. He can't believe the dream. It was as vivid as day. He runs outside. He comes into the shul and he screams, I know where the boy is. But I need help. The boy's in the monastery. They're holding him, they kidnapped him. We gotta get him. Rabbi, how are you? The monastery is like a fortified castle. The church is in cahoots with the police. We can't get in there for nothing. How are we gonna do this? Shagata is thinking, and he comes up with a plan. Brilliant idea. He says, you know, there is a Jew, a tailor, who lives on the other side of town, on the Goyesh's side of town. He already went off the derech. He doesn't keep Shabbat anymore. He really doesn't even mix with Jews anymore. He was a small-time tailor that one day hit it big with his clothing, and he started mingling with the high-line goyim, and they loved his clothing, they loved his work, so they started throwing at him all types of business, they started inviting him to parties, and little by little by little, he completely left his Jewish family, he went off the derech, he has nothing to do with Judaism. But he has an in with them. And for what I understand, the monastery and the church uses only him for their priestly clothing. I bet you he has access into the monastery. Maybe he can save Raphael's life. The Shagat Aryeh travels to the other side of town, to the Goyesh's side of town, not the side that you would expect to see the great rabbi with a long white beard. But yet he made his way through the streets, straight to the house of the tailor. He comes into the tailor, and the tailor looks at him. Hey, Rabiner, Rabbi, you're lost? What are you doing on this side of town? Shagat says, no, no, I'm not lost. You're lost. I'm here to bring you back. I'm here to bring you back to Hashem. What are you talking about? I'm not interested. I don't want to know. I'm happy. I'm making a good living. I like the company of people I'm in. Please, don't bother me about Tefillin, don't bother me about Shabbat, I don't want to know nothing. Shagata says, says, no, 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 you're missing it. You don't understand. He says, do you remember years ago, there was a wonderful man in our city. He was my Shamosh. He says, yes, of course, I remember. He says, he was a wonderful man. He was by my wedding. I remember him. You remember that he had a baby, very young, uh, 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 at a very old age? He says, yeah, he was a brilliant kid. I heard that you were taking care of him. You were bringing him up after his father passed away. He says exactly. That boy was kidnapped by the church. He's in the dungeon at a monastery. The only way to get this boy back to Klali Israel is you. You're the only Jew they trust. You go in and out with your clothing all the time. The next time you're in the monastery, I'm giving you now an opportunity to come back to Klal Israel to do something great for the Jewish people, something that will overshadow all the bad that you fell into all these years, all the Shabbat and all the things you didn't do. This could be a saving grace in God's eyes. Save this boy. If you put it like that. He says, you sure he's in the monastery? He says, yes. He's in the basement, in the dungeon? Yes. Okay, Rabbi. I'll do it, but on one condition. There's always a condition. You know that. You know how these stories go. On one condition, I'll do it. If you promise me that they will bury me right next to you. Shagat, you said what? He says you heard me in the cemetery. When they bury the famous, the great Gadol, the Shagataye, they're going to bury the tailor right next to him. I want to be buried right next to you, Rabbi. If you say yes, we have a deal. Shagataye thought, and he stretched out his hand. They said, you got a deal. And they shook on it. The next day, the tailor made his way out to the monastery with a whole new fresh line of priestly clothing, And he made his way into the monastery and everyone was saying hello to him. This guy was a celebrity. He makes everybody look good. Everyone loves him. He was giving out the clean clothing, the new clothing to all the priests and the monks. Nobody followed him around. They trusted him. He's been there all the time. Quietly, when nobody was looking. He made his way down to the dungeon, to the basement. And there was the boy. He sees that there was a guard standing there protecting, watching that the boy doesn't run. So he ran up to the guard, and he showed him those beautiful new clothing that he made for the guard, and the guard flipped. Wow, such hashub clothing for a guard in the dungeon. I normally don't get such hashubi clothing. Go, turn it on, put it on, let's see how you look. The guy runs out with the clothing. Here's my minute, here's my moment, here's the chance. He runs and he grabs Raphael, and he tells him, listen, take this clothing and put it on. This is the clothing of a monk. I'm going to dress you up like a monk, and I want you to walk with me. Keep your eyes down. Don't make eye contact with anybody. Where I go, you go. He quickly puts the monk clothing on Raphael. They walk through the hallways, out a back door. They made their way out of the monastery, through the forest, and back to the city right back to the house of the Shagat tar-yeh. When the Shagat saw Raphael, he ran up and he hugged him and he cried. I almost lost you. Klal Yisrael, almost lost the future giant of Torah. And then the Shagat turns to the tailor and he says, Hashem will never forget you for what you just did. Rabbi, you remember the deal? Your deal is sealed. You have nothing to worry about. With those words, the Shagat took Raphael and he couldn't keep him in town anymore. Because the moment the word gets out to the church that the boy is back, they're going to understand that something took place. They're going to look into it and sure enough, they catch the tailor, they catch the rabbi. Who knows whose life could be in danger and they'll come back to get him again. So immediately the Shagat Tariyeh sent the boy out to the neighboring town, to a different town, to a different rabbi, and he was going to live there and be brought up there from now on, and no one would know he's there. And that's the only way to keep him, keep him away from the church. Ladies, listen to the ending of this amazing story. You think that's the end of the story? Oh, years later, years later, the Shagat Tariyeh passes away. And at the same year, you know who else passed away? The tailor. Now, before the tailor died, he was laying on his deathbed, and in walked the Hevra Kadisha to take his last will and testament. That's what they used to do in the olden years. The Hevra Kadisha would come to a person when they heard that the person was on their deathbed, and they would take down that last will and testament, those last shchiv merah is what the Gemara calls it. It's those last notes of command of what the person the passing last requests of a person in life. And when they walked into the tailor, the tailor smiled and said, I was waiting for you. The burial society, the Chavrak Gentlemen, you know where you have to bury me. You must bury me right next to the Shagat Arye. The Chavrak looked at each other and they burst out laughing. Look at this guy. He has a great sense of humor on his last few minutes in this world. What type of jokester are you? You? <laughs> you are piquarious, you. You didn't keep Shabbat. You didn't keep Pesach. You didn't, keep Yom Tov. you didn't even show up for Kippur. You went to the Goyim. Get out of here, Shagat HaTaryeh. Be lucky that we even give you a Jewish burial. He says, oh, no, no, no. I had a deal. And I did my side of the deal. And the Shagat HaTaryeh shook his hand and gave me the promise that I am going to be buried right next to him. Don't you dare. You keep up his deal. Hebra Kaddishah looked at each other. They didn't know what to make of what the guy's talking about. You see, they couldn't publicize the deal because they were scared that if people would know about the deal, then the word would get back to the church that this is the guy who saved the boy and the rabbi was behind it Then both their lives would have been in danger. So nobody knew about the deal. Now, sure enough, only hours, the tailor returned his soul to Hashem. He passed away. And the next morning was the funeral. And there was a big funeral session. And all the people came out because everybody knew the tailor was a very popular guy. And they started carrying the Aaron towards the cemetery of the city on the outside of town. As they started carrying the Aaron, suddenly these black clouds form. You see, Hashem never forgets when you do something for Talmid Chacham and when you do something for Torah. That is sac- sacred as sacred can be, something that God will never forget. And here, Hashem manipulated the moment. The black clouds began to form. And it started to have such a downpour, such a torrential rain, that people were soaked in moments. The winds, the fog—they couldn't see two feet in front of them. They're carrying the the, the they're carrying the Aron of the tailor. They're making their way towards the outskirts of town. They come into the cemetery. At that point, there was no one there anymore. It was just the Kadishah. No one could stay because of this typhoon of a uh, da- <laughs> It was like literally one of these hurricanes. The last five men. They come into the cemetery, let's just get this over with. We can't see two inches in front of each other. Quickly, they buried the tailor and they left, running home out of this hurricane. <laughs> <laughs> the next morning, a guy comes running into Shul. Do you know where we buried the tailor? Right next to the Shagat Aryeh. What? In the middle of Shahri, no one believed it. The tailor, the Apikores, next to the Gadol Ador. How did that happen? They turned to the Chavrak Kadishah. They looked at each other. We couldn't see two inches in front of us. The rain, the fog. It, it, it was a hurricane. We just buried him at the first hole we found. They all go running out to the cemetery. There it is. Newly dug up, newly buried grave. And there it is, the tailor. Exactly the way Hashem wanted it. Right next to the Shagat Aryeh. Now there was a big question in town. Half of the people in the town said, What? You buried who next to who? Next to the Shagat Aryeh? Pick him up. Pull him out of the ground. Bury him. You know, dig him up. We gotta put him somewhere else. What a Zion for the great rabbi to be next to such an api The other half of the city said, no, 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 no. Kavod amet. Once you buried him, once you're done, you can't move him, you can't touch him. And it was a big fight that broke out in town. And now that the Shagat was no longer there, they didn't have yet a replacement rabbi of that magnitude to give such a rendering of halacha. So where do you think they went to? They went to the next town. They come into the town. Rabbi, help us. We have a tremendous question. And they tell them the story. And they tell him every detail. And Raphael stands there. The rabbi of the next town, Reb Raphael now. And he begins to laugh. What's so funny? What's so funny? I'm the boy that he pulled out from the dungeons of the monastery. I'm the boy that the tailor went and saved from when I was kidnapped. The Gatar sent him. And yes, it's true. The Shagat Tariye made him that promise. And take a look, Hashem never forgot what this guy did for one Talmid Chacham, for one Torah in Klali Yisrael, for one boy that later on became a great rabbi, a great Torah giant. It's fantastic. Ladies, you have to understand what this means. The concept that whatever we do for Torah, today especially, that's the war. That's where the war is. Today the fight is over the Torah. And it's over our kids. And it's over their Torah future. And everything we do for (laughs) Talmidei Chachamim and for Torah today, in Hashem's eyes, is something he'll never forget. That's why I want to share with you an opportunity. An unbelievable opportunity. Because we're only holding now A few days before Pesach, the great night, the night that the Arizal writes on the night of Pesach, all the she'arim, all the gates of the greatest blessing and shefa is open the night of Pesach like no other night of the year. So what you can get on the night of Passover, on the night of Pesach, you can't get any other night of the year. The tremendous shefa and blessing is beyond imagination. But I want to tell you an unbelievable opportunity how to get it. And I want you to listen well. We have a great mitzvah amongst us right now. A mitzvah that both men and women are both obligated and are able to perform such a wonderful thing. Such a mitzvah. A mitzvah that the greatest of rabbis, Rabbi Shlomo Zalman Orbach, Chachamovad Yosef Zatzal, all the greatest of rabbis used to run. and They didn't wait. They already ran on Rosh Chodesh Nisan to do this mitzvah. This is the mitzvah of Birkat Ha'ilanot. Now we think, wow, what's so special about that mitzvah, Rabbi? Do me a favor. I have my house upside down. I'm living out of three moishi boxes of the leftover of whatever's chametz left in my house. It's by the front door, and I tell my kids and my husband, so help you God. Anybody takes anything in that hat box and walks around the house, there's the door. You tell me about Berkat ilanot. Tell me about the Matzah, $35 a pound. Tell me about the Maror. Tell me about the four cups of wine, the beautiful Ishonot of Geulah, Birkata Ha'ilanot. Come on, what's so great about Birkata Ha'ilanot? I'm gonna tell you, and I'm gonna make this really short and sweet, but I want you to hear this. Wow, what this opportunity is. And this is based on the Eli in Shulchan Aruch. And it starts with this intro. On the great night of the greatest blessings that were ever given to the Jewish people was the night that Yitzhak Avinu gave the blessings to Yaakov Avinu. Yitzhak told Esav, go and bring me shnei gida'e Says Rashi, you know what night that was? That was the night of Pesach. And the reason why he asked him to bring him two shnei gida'e e'zim, echad lekorban Pesach ve echad lekorban Chagiga. And sure enough, Yaakov Avinu comes in with the Korban Pesach and the Korban Hakol HaKolKol Yaakov. BaYadayimide Esav. Here is Yaakov dressed up in the coat of Esav. And he sits down that night and he makes a Passover seder, a Pesach seder with his father. And they drink the four cups of wine and they eat the Korban Pesach and they eat Matzah. And all of these things that I'm telling you is all hidden And hinted in the words of the psukim themselves. And then finally, who comes running in? After Yitzchak gives Yaakov the 10 greatest blessings of history. Unbelievable blessings. This is the night that made us the greatest people on earth. This is the night that made us the chosen people. The beginning of the process started from that night. It made us heads and shoulders above everybody else on planet Earth. We got the greatest blessings, 10, to counteract the 10 klalot of Adam and Ishon, We became that night an immortal people. And right after Yaakov got those blessings and left, who comes walking in? Esav. And he says to his father, Bless me, Abba. You have to have something left for me. And what does his father tell him? No, I have nothing left for you. Why not? You want to know why not? Because I just had the Pesach said there with Yaakov Avinu, and we ate Korban Pesach, and we drank four cups of wine, and we ate the Afikoman. And you know what the halacha is? Once you eat the Afikoman and maftirim, after Pesach Afikoman, you're not allowed to eat anymore. Once you ate the Afikoman. And that was it. I can't eat from your food, Esav. I'm not allowed to eat anymore. I ate Tafikomam. Once I can't eat from you, I can't bless you. What? Look what my brother did to me. Says yes. Says Yitzchak. be mirma. You know what the Balaturim writes? Mirma normally means trickery. Says the Balaturim, the word mirma is gematria afikoman. Ba achicha ba afikoman. Your brother came, had the Passover, said there with me, drank the cups of wine, ate the matzah, ate korban pesach, and he fed me the afikoman. And now I can't eat anything anymore. I can't have from your food. I can't bless you. Amazing! Do you understand that the night of the greatest blessings? the night of the night of Passover and that's why the Arizal writes that every single year on the night of Pesach all the gates of heaven of the greatest blessing and the greatest Shefa is open for the taking but how do you get it how do you bring it down we know a great yesod in Judaism even if you are supposed to get the greatest blessings in the world and even on Rosh Hashanah, they wrote next to your name all the blessings in the world, you still got to do something to bring it down. You still got to do something for it to be drawn into your hand, to be how on you. What do you got to do? How do we bring it down? So we do the matzah, we do the there, and we speak the haggadah, and yes, all those mitzvot bring down incredible blessing. But how about the big ten? The ones that Yitzchak gave Yaakov, how do I cash in to be ten l'cha'elokim shamayim sh'manei aretz this coming Passover night. Says the El Yeraba in Shulchan Aruch, something fantastic. Do you know what the Pasuk is right before the blessings? Re'e, re'ach b'ni, kereach hasade asher barecho Hashem. Says the El Yeraba, do you know the source and the mikor? Where this great mitzvah, birkata ilanot, came from in the Torah, it came from this pasuk. It came from the pasuk that Yitzchak told on the night of Passover to Yaakov Avino, Re'e, re'ach bini, k're'ach hasadeh, A'sheh Hashem. If you come in with the re'ach hasadeh, with the blessings that God blessed and put into the fields, which is the perot, which is the ilanot of fruit, when you come in with these blessings, you know what the next word in the next pasuk is: "The ten mitala shamayim aretz Rov Why? What does blessing on trees and the blessings of the field have to do with the greatest blessings that Yitzchak gave Yaakov of heaven and earth? And the answer is, you don't understand what you're doing. I have to tell you over the ha-chaim. The Kafa Chaim writes that there's a secret behind this mitzvah, a blessing on the trees, a berkat ha'ilanot. says the Kafa Chaim is supposed to be blessing on at least two fruit trees. And yes, they have to be fruit trees. They have to be trees that will eventually give fruit. But you don't bless at the moment of the fruit bearing. You bless earlier. You make the blessing on the fruit trees at the time where it begins to sprout its first flower. It's called the perah. That flower is what you would call the foundation, the bignan that's going to hold the future fruit. When it begins to blossom, those flowers that come out of the fruit tree, two trees, that's the moment you make the blessing. Generally, that takes place in the first few weeks of the month of Nisan, where we're at right now. And you know what you're doing? Are you ready for this, ladies? I'm not going to go into the heebie-jeebie-woogie stuff. That's not my style. But I gotta tell you what the Kafa Chaim writes. He is the one who said that when a person goes up to heaven and they look at you in his Shama, they want to see if you're worthy to be able to allow it into Gan Eden. And if you're not exactly perfect, they'll still let you go into Gehennam to get cleaned up so that eventually you'll go into Gan Eden. But not everybody is lucky enough to be allowed entry into Gehennam. Some people had certain rotten things that were done in their life that Gehenna was too good for them. And they have to come back again to this world as a Gilgul to come back and be mitaken and fix all the things that they did wrong in a previous lifetime. Some people were really great and they chose to come back in the Gilgul because they wanted to fix even the small stuff so that when they go up to Shamayin, they'll get a better place in heaven. Nonetheless, not everybody comes back as a person. The people that were really good and only have minor little stuff to fix, writes the Kafa Chaim, they're brought down into a fruit or into a fruit tree. And all they wait is to grow and for someone to come along and make a biracha on that fruit. And the moment you made a blessing on that fruit was the moment that they're released back into heaven with a complete tikkun. The great rabbis knew this stuff. The Arizal used to go and make blessings on fruits all the time, and he used to tell his students, I'm releasing incredibly high nishamot back to heaven and bringing tikkun to so many of them, because he knew these secrets. Says the Kafa Chaim, when you walk up to those fruit trees and you make the blessing of Birkata Ha'ilanot, that tree is filled with many different nishamot, in the Perach, in the beginning stages, waiting for the fruit to grow, for someone to make a blessing on it, so that they can get their tikkun these nishamot and they can go back to heaven complete. When you come to this birkata ilanot and you make the blessing on that tree, all the nishamot of the future fruit already is given access to their full tikkun. You through your blessings were just creating a mini yitziat Mitzrayim. You were just matir asurim. You just released a neshama from its bondage in a certain way, from its restraint in a certain way, and you broke it free to go back to shamayim with a full tikkun on your blessings. Hashem says, you went and this, this amazing berachot, that you released these nishamot from bondage. On the night of the Jewish people being left out and released from bondage, I'm going to release you from all your issues as well and drop on you the greatest blessings of history. Says the El it's not a coincidence that the two psukim were put right next to each other. First, he told him about Berkat Ha'ilanot. Re'each bini hasadeh now that you got Berkat Ha'ilanot, and you release those Neshamot, and you allow them to go out of their Mitzrayim, so to speak. Now, on the night of Passover, mital Shamay mishmane aretz rov And then, he writes something incredible. And this was brought in the book of the Arizal himself. He says, just like spiritually, you release those nishamot, and you allow them to go up with tikkun, physically you could also release people from their bondage before Pesach. And that's the first halacha in Hilchot Pesach. Do you know what the first halacha talks about? It doesn't talk about matzah. It doesn't talk about chametz. It doesn't talk about selling chametz to a goy. It doesn't even talk about maror. It talks about kimcha, the pischa. Giving monies to poor people to allow them to be taken out of their difficulties and be able to make a Pesach. You could release the people from their problems physically by giving them some money to make Pesach. It's so expensive to make Pesach. Or you could help them spiritually by making Berkat Ha'ilanot and releasing the Neshamot and getting their Tikkun. But you've got to release somebody else for you on the night of Pesach to be able to be released and receive all the tremendous shefa that's coming to you from the blessings of Yitzchak Avinu. What an opportunity. I'm hoping that we hear how powerful this idea really is. Because boy, let me tell you, like you saw in the story of the tailor and the Shagat when you go out and you help talmidei chachamim that can't afford to make a pesach, I just spoke to a guy last week. Every year I go around collecting for three families: Svaradi, big blyanharah, big families. One man Ashkenazi tzaddik in Lakewood, blyanharah, big family, and they told me last week, we don't know if we're making it this year. We can't buy shoes for our kids for pesach. Forget about new suits. We're talking about $35 a pound of matzah. How are we supposed to do this? The big families, these guys are sitting and learning day and night. They're sacrificing for Torah. They're literally carrying the burden, them and their wives. They need help. And when we help them and we release them, so to speak, from the difficulties to come into Chirut, boy, do we to the Chirut on the night of Pesach, the night of the greatest bliss, blessings of history, aritz Ladies, Hashem never forgets somebody who helps Talmidei Chachamim, especially at their times of need. This is the first halacha in Hilchot Pesach. Kimcha de Pischa. Let's help. Whatever you want to help with, give something. To give these Talmidei Chachamim achat kashev Sameach. I just want to end off and tell you something amazing. Some of you might know Rabbi Ammon from Deal, New Jersey. Sadiq of a guy. He has wonderful boys, wonderful family. I happen to know the family very well. One of his sons actually married the daughter of my brother-in-law. Wonderful people, special. Rabbi Ammon and his wife had this minhag year after year that they would go to the cemetery in Staten Island to visit his mother-in-law's grave on Erev Roshana Rosh every single year. And they would pray by the grave and they would ask forgiveness every year. One year, Rabbi Ammon and his wife were coming back from Brooklyn, on their way back to Deal, over the Verrazano, driving through Stan Island Expressway, and he looked and he saw that he's about to drive right past the exit of the cemetery. So he turns to his wife and he says, Honey, listen, I know every year we come to your mother on Erev Roshana, Rosh but listen, it's only a week before Rosh Hashanah to come schlepping back from Deal all the way in Erev is not easy. We're here already. So once we're here, let's go this year a week early. What's the big deal? So he says, okay, let's go. So they pull off onto the exit. He comes into the cemetery. Him and his wife walk up to the grave of his mother-in-law and they begin to pray the Tehillim. As Rabbi Ammon is praying, he looks up in the distance and he sees not too far away from him. There was a group of young guys, all in suits, standing next to a casket on the floor a hole in the ground nobody's moving and no one's doing anything and he looks up and he says something's wrong with that picture he turns to his wife and says yeah I just want to go check out and see what's going on so he walks out there and he walks up to these guys and says hey guys what's going on? and they look at him with a smile and they say Rabbi it's good you came over because we're kinda lost here you know they just kinda the funeral home just kinda dumped us here right next to the hole where we're supposed to be burying our father we don't know what to do. Rabbi Ammon says, you don't know what to do. No one's here to help you. He says, no. It's a bunch of young guys, teenagers. He says, okay, let me count. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Okay, there's nine of you. It's good I came over. I'm the tenth guy. Now you'll be able to say Kaddish. If I wasn't here, you wouldn't be able to say Kaddish. They said, okay, so what do we do? He says, come on, guys. Five on this side of the coffin and five on this side of the coffin. Grab the ropes. Let's put it underneath the coffin. Raise it up slowly. He showed them how to raise it up. Together, they all lowered the coffin down into the hole of their father. After that, Rabbi Amin grabbed the shovel. He began to push some of the dirt in to just cover the top of the coffin. And at that moment, he turns to the boys. And he says, okay, guys, now say Kaddish. We have a minyan. It's good I came over. They look at him. What? Said, say Kaddish. Yit Go ahead. B'kol Ram. Ayet. Now. Say. Rabbi, we don't know what you're talking about. He said, what do you mean? Hey, oh, you probably don't by heart. He pulls out a seed. No, 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 Rabbi, you don't get it. We can't read Hebrew. You can't read Hebrew? You don't know what? Aleph Bet? Sorry, no. We weren't brought up in the Yeshiva. He said, I can't believe it. All right, guys, listen up. Repeat after me. Yitkadal v'yitkadash Kadash Abba. And he said, the entire Kaddish. And the boys repeated word for word the entire Kaddish from beginning to end. Rabbi Ammon was very moved. He turned back and he said, okay, guys, let's finish the mitzvah now. He grabs the shovel and he begins to fill up the hole with the rest of the dirt. And he turns to the boys and he says, come on, guys, help me. He says, no, come on, Rabbi, you see Leroy over there in the tractor? We paid him a few dollars. He's going to finish the job. We don't want to get dirty. It's new suits. Don't get dirty. Rabbi Says, come on. Guys, it's your father. Come on, respect. Grab a shovel. Let's do it. Let's finish the mitzvah. This is his honor. This is kavod amet. No, Rabbi, let, let, let the guy in the track to do it. Rabbi Amos says, come on, watch. I'm going to show you how to do it. He grabs the shovel and he starts filling up the hole. He turns around. They're gone. He couldn't believe it. Here he is, burying a stranger. Thinking to himself, how did I get into this? I wasn't even supposed to be here today. I come every year on Erev, Roshanah. This is crazy. Well, he fills up the hole, and just then Rabbi Ammon turns back to the guy on the tractor. All right, Leroy, yalla, go ahead, finish the job, it's done. Leroy jumps off the tractor and comes running up. He says, Rabbi, there's nothing left to finish. You did the whole job yourself. You might as well just put the nameplate on because you did everything. So Rabbi Ammon says, okay, give me the nameplate. He hands him the nameplate. And he puts it, nestles it into the fresh soil right up on top. And he looks back for a minute and he sees the name Simon Pollock. He says, Simon Pollock. Rings a bell. Hmm. No, don't know him. Turns around, makes his way back to his wife. And there they continue to pray by his mother in law. And on the way home, he's telling his wife, that's a crazy story. It's ridiculous. Boys that can't speak alphabet that didn't go to you, you couldn't say it, it, And what were the chances of me showing up there today? I wasn't even supposed to be there today. I was the 10th guy in the Minyan. And sure enough, they were able to say, Kaddish now, what a crazy thing. And they didn't want to bury their own father. I had to do the burial. Well, that was it. A week later, Rabbi Ammon's family comes from Seattle, Washington. Rabbi Ammon himself originates from Seattle. And they came into Lakewood for a family wedding. And then Rabbi Amin starts bumping into some uncles that he hasn't seen in years. And he's sitting one of his favorite uncles. And he says, Uncle, you're not going to believe this. And he starts telling him the whole story of the week before by the cemetery. And the boys, they couldn't read. And they didn't want to shovel. And they didn't want to do the job. And he was the one that did the burial. And then the guy came and handed him the plate. Simon Pollock. He put it in the dirt. What was that name? His uncle looked at him and said, what was that name? He said, Simon Pollock." Why? His uncle's face turns white. His jaw drops. He said, Are you sure that that? He says, Yeah, I, I buried the guy, I know. Simon Pollock. That was his name. Why? His uncle looks at him and says, Rabbi Ammon, you don't know who Simon Pollock is? He says, No. Who's Simon Pollock? The uncle leans back in his chair. He says, 57 years ago, in Seattle, Washington, one Shabbat, The committee of the shul got together and realized, all we have is a shul in Seattle. We didn't have yeshivot. We didn't have even a day school. And our kids started to grow up. And we had a bunch of bar mitzvah boys. And that Shabbat, we thought, what are we going to do? We can't afford to send all our bar mitzvah boys to Brooklyn, New York, to go to the yeshiva in Brighton Beach of Rabbi Davis. How are we going to do this? We need sponsors so that Shabbat they made a Shabbat program sponsor a yeshiva boy send them to a yeshiva in Brooklyn in New York and that Shabbat right after Musaf they lined up all the bar mitzvah boys and they started going one boy after the after next who's gonna sponsor this boy? one guy raises his hand. who's gonna send this boy to yeshiva? one guy raises his hand and Rabbi Ammon Simon Pollock, sponsored you He was the one that sent you to yeshiva, and when you needed him, he was there for you. And now, when he needed you, Hashem made sure that you're going to be there for him. Hashem never forgets when you do something for Torah and a talmid chacham at the times they need it the most. We need to open our hearts we really need this Pesach to reach out to the poor Talmidei Chachamim, those who are carrying the world with the Torah and help them Kimcha the to make a Pesach so that we can come into the greatest blessings and Hashem will never forget when we reached out to sponsor and helped Talmidei Chachamim. So please you know the number of the shul I believe it's 732 520 0557, I believe that that's the number. At the same time, I think you can go online as well, because the shul now has a link on the website if there's credit cards, if they want to give Kimcha the Pischa, we give it out right before Pesach. I personally oversee it. I know all of the three families personally. Each one is a desperate situation. They mamash need the help. Real Talmidei Chachamim. The website of the shul is Mab. Shul M-A-B as a boy, Mabshul dot, I think it's org or dot com, it's one of the two. You'll find it. I know this is lousy, but I should have known this stuff myself. It's Mabshul dot com or dot org, or just text to the Shul phone, 732-520-0557. Please, whatever you could send is helpful, but the idea is you sent and Hashem will never forget it. And He'll remember us on this Pesach to bring down the greatest Shekva, v'yiten l'cha'ilokim, mital Mitala shamayim U mishmane Thank you for listening, ladies.